Welcome to the Plan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Josh Codes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andy IRL. Before we get into tonight's topic, a quick shameless plug, follow us on all our socials, at Pro-Life Advocacy Network on TikTok and Instagram, and at Pro-Life Team on X. Shoot us a DM if you have questions or show ideas, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. Also, join us on Rumble and subscribe on YouTube at Pro-Life Advocacy Network, where all of our episodes will be posted. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome to the Plan Podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh Codes IRL. Follow me on all social media at Josh Codes IRL or visit www.joshcodesirl.com for all my links. And I am Andy IRL, co-founder of Plan, co-host of the Plan Podcast. Find me on social media at Andy IRL Official or andyirl.com. While discussing theories and beliefs are crucial, it's equally important to explore concrete actions that can make a real difference. Today, we're fortunate to have three guests who embody the spirit of active engagement in the pro-life movement. Each has made a significant impact through their dedicated efforts in different areas of pro-life work. Ladies, thank you for joining us, and uh, feel free to introduce yourselves by telling us who you are, where we can find you, and what you all do for the movement. Hi, I'm Carrie Donnelly. I'm an executive director for a pregnancy resource center medical clinic called Adria Women's Health, and we provide uh, pregnancy tests and limited ultrasounds, post-abortive counseling, and case management, as well as support services to women that are currently pregnant or have children to the age of three years. My name is Lisa, and I am a pro-life activist. I've been involved in the pro-life movement for about 11 years now. Um, doing all kinds of different things. I'm one of those people that I've worn multiple different hats as far as like organizing rallies, organizing protests, um, you know, uh, doing social media content creation. And, um, and then I have also personally volunteered and worked for a national pro-life organization that helps women um, during crisis pregnancies um, and provides financial assistance. Um, so yeah, lots of different things. Nagarza, and I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I do the sidewalk for the Cherub Initiative along with my team. We're on the sidewalks uh, Tuesday through Friday, uh, and uh, so we're called Sidewalk Guardians for Life. I also help as a regional coordinator uh, for Silent No More Awareness here in New Mexico, which is helping my post abortive healing ministries um, and also helping. Women uh, tell their testimonies of being injured by the abortion industry. Thank you all again for being here. Uh, I wanted to dive a bit deeper into y'all's individual roles. Uh, Christina, can you give us an insight into what your involvement in the pro-life movement uh, involves on a daily basis? And this would be kind of like open to the panel as well. On a daily, uh, I'm up at 5 a.m. in the morning, and I'm usually out on the sidewalks at 6. Now, with the Cherub Initiative, um, uh, we do the Mommy Hope Bags. The Cherub Initiative has handed out, um, since we started it in 2017, um, 5,000 Mommy Hope Bags and 
have witnessed uh, 300 plus uh, moms choose life for them and their babies. And what specifically are in these Mommy Hope bags? Okay. And the Mommy Hope bags, well, first, they're full of so much prayer. Um, we, we have a little gift for mom. That way she could feel special, uh, actually, because the gift is for her to get her attention. Uh, it could be uh, like lip gloss, uh, candy. It could be socks, a manicure set, nail polish, etc., and pregnancy resource information. So you're out there on the sidewalks. Um, are you just kind of trying to interact with people as they approach the clinics before they would go in for their abortion? How exactly does that work? Okay. Um, we, uh, we sidewalk guardians with the chair of initiative. We, we try to reach mom before she decides what we do is that we reach out by saying, we love you. We're praying for you. Let's talk a second. We have a free gift for you. And a huge, um, majority of them, they just walk on over to us. And if she hasn't decided, that makes it a lot easier. A huge majority of women don't want to do this. They don't know. They only feel that abortion is their option because they're not informed. But once they come and talk to us, because the, the mommy hope bag that we hand out has approximately um, four pregnancy resource centers and um, one that's out of state. So it outnumbers the abortion clinic from four to five to one. And if she does decide to do an abortion, we're there anyway uh, to help her with the post-war healing process, uh, actually, because it's, a, it's also a journey in that regard as well. And uh, most of the time, if a mom sees us out there on the sidewalk, the cancellation because someone is out on the sidewalk just in a prayerful, peaceful, loving, let's do an outreach. Uh, the no-show cancellation rate goes as high as 75%. Some of the women that actually don't want the abortion actually seek us pro-lifers out. Uh, they, they seek us out. I mean, like, uh, I'm going to use this for an example. Um, there's a medical uh, medical unit stork bus that comes out to the sidewalk. God bless them. Um, well, there have been a couple of women that actually were looking for for us, for them also. So they're like, oh, we, we want a pregnancy test. We want an ultrasound. Um, but the thing is, is that we don't want to go into this exact abortion clinic. And we know they don't do it for free, but we want to go to CareNet or the other pregnancy resource centers, we just don't know where they are. Well, the bus could be literally uh, parked across the street and they would park their car and walk with us. Speaking of the pregnancy resource centers, um, Carrie, did you want to kind of start telling us a little bit about your day-to-day involvement? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a medical clinic. And so the day would look like as an executive director, obviously it'll look a little different, but just to give you an Mm -hmm. idea of what, how we serve abortion determined and minded women is that we have a medical clinic with our nurse manager and RDMS, a nurse practitioner um, on site. Um, Women call in and they primarily find us through um, Google. And so they're searching for how to get an abortion in Texas. Or if they have a little bit of knowledge, they've already ordered the uh, the pill online and they are needing to confirm how far along they are. Or Uh the other um, clients that we see is they have 
decided that they're going to abort and they're going to go to New Mexico. Um, again, they just need a confirmation and to get an idea of how far along they are to whether or not it needs to be surgical or chemical. And so we, like I said, we have three programs. Obviously, our mission is to protect and defend the sanctity of all human life, both born and unborn, through alternative to abortion services. And that is for them that empowers mothers to choose life. But we also know that, yes, we have a medical clinic. Yes, we want to meet the, the, the woman when she's in that pregnancy that's unexpected, when she's confused, when she's scared, when she's ambivalent. Or when she she really doesn't have all of the information and we want to professionally with empathy give her all of the choices really understand to make an informed decision and we do that by options counseling by medical professionals only pregnancy test that's medical grade and an ultrasound by a medical professional but on the other end of that if she chooses life, we want to support her, right? So a big part of the pro-life movement, and I think one of a, a large um, critique is that we're for baby, but we're not for, for mom and we're not for long-term. And so I love that um, PRCs have really understood that and we do follow them, right? And so I think one of the big debates is how many PRCs outnumber abortion clinics in the nation. But the reason behind that is we don't just provide one service, right? So um, what Planned Parenthood calls themselves, which is, you know, for woman, um, for healthcare, is actually what pregnancy resources centers do, which is we we are for you, we're for you, not only from pregnancy, but after pregnancy and, and to help provide through material assistance. So our day could look very different depending on what capacity you're, um, you're serving or you're working at the center, whether you are a nurse working in our clinic, you are a facilitator that are teaching one of six classes that we offer for both the mother and the father of the baby. We have anywhere from fatherhood classes to lactation classes, breastfeeding. We have postpartum we have that we're working on, on grabbing. We have life coaching. We have life skills. Um, we have multiple classes. We also do case management. So we have one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and then the the other program that I think is is something that's important for us to provide is post-abortive services. So if if mother does not choose life, that we still want to follow her because we know that the um, impact of abortion um, on the woman um, is is something that is unlike what we we are told. It does play a, t a toll on not only her mental health um, but her overall overall well-being. How do the women that you work with? Um, come to find you? For the medical clinic, which again is the heart of, of you know, what our mission is, is to serve abortion-minded women and abortion-determined women. It is primarily because of the population 16 to 24, it's going to be through a Google search. So they are, they're either through click ads that we have or SEO is where they find us. They're searching um, on their smartphone, how do I get an abortion, right? Um, or how, how, how can I get confirmation of pregnancy. And so that that is the majority of our referrals. So the majority of people that find you, are they women who are seeking abortion or who are seeking alternatives to abortion? Because we're in Texas at this point, surprisingly, some women still do not know that abortion is illegal in Texas. And I want to point out that mm -hmm. 
Um, other states uh, that are that have banned abortion um, probably can identify with this. And we'd really try to, as a as a director, talking to my donors and the community, is that the the fight has not ended in Texas. It uh-huh. just looks different, right? And so abortions are still happening. Unexpected pregnancies are still are still happening. They just look different, right? And so, um, uh-huh. so I I think there's a misconception that that it's not happening, and that we have we need to hang our hats. And we've and you know the pro life movement has won in Texas, and, and again, it it has not. Um, so we we are also unlike what the media portrays. We are not deceptive. Um, so they know from the minute they call our intake center um, to our website that we do not provide or refer for abortions. Um, however, some women still do not know. And somehow, if you can imagine when your brain is in crises, you're in a fight or flight mode, you're really not functioning at your normal. So they might have been told, they might have searched our website and they still come in thinking they're going to get an abortion. I would say that is not as common mm-hmm. as you would think it does happen. But I think the, the reasons are for some of the, the things I just mentioned, but majority of them, they want an abortion They're They just are using our free resources to confirm what mm-hmm. type of abortion that they can have. Okay. And then once they're kind of in your doors, that's when you have a chance to speak to them about, like you said, educating them on all of their, options available to them so that they don't have to necessarily feel like abortion is their only choice. Absolutely. So, you know, I think the idea is that people believe and women believe that Planned Parenthood is there for them. And, and of course, not abortion clinics now in Texas, but that we can go to Planned Parenthood and that they still assist in Texas and they have liaisons that will help them financially um, fly to New Mexico for abortions. But that Unlike how they portray themselves, we truly are for them to fully understand what decision they need that they're going to make. And then they make that decision. So when they come into our doors, we provide the medical side of it, which is confirming pregnancy and seeing the viability of the pregnancy, making sure how far along they are. Is there a heartbeat? But also there is a uh, 30 to 45 minute Uh, what we call options counseling. And we provide it in such a way as any other, um, any other setting, medical setting that you would experience in that context, right? And so it's very much presented in, I want you to be understanding about prenatal development. Um, Here is what abortion looks like. And we're not showing graphic media, you know, images Mm -hmm. to to scare them. Um, We Mm -hmm. are simply saying, this is adoption. This is what a modern adoption looks like, right? And and the myths of what we oftentimes think of when we think about adoption has so different than than modern adoptions. And so we speak about that, and then we explain about and really talk about the struggles of parenting because it's tough, right? And and share uh-huh. the resources that we can provide and and link them to other resources, and and then also um, talk about abortion, right? And and we make it a point that. That sometimes clients come in and these patients are um, are abortion minded, but they don't want us to know. So we mm-hmm. share as an educational piece, even if they're happy to parent, we want everyone to be informed about what an abortion is. And so uh, even we've had clients that want an abortion or they've said, OK, well, I'm happy to parent. 
but I'm pro-choice. And after hearing um, education on what a chemical abortion is and what a surgical abortion is, they either say, hey, I don't want to hear anymore, or it opens their eyes. And it's, it's an education um, experience for them. Gotcha. Um, and then finally, Lisa, did you want to tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day is like and the involvement that you find yourself in? Yeah. So, um, you know, primarily working as a pregnancy counselor, I'm on the resource part of it. So I'm getting women connected to the resources that they need um, and getting them linked up with other organizations um, or other programs or social um, social programs and things like that. So um, when a woman, you know, comes to me and says, you know, this is my situation, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, I mean, the first thing that I'm going to do is obviously get her story, figure out what's happening, what's her situation look like. Um, and then I'm going to get her zip code. And then from there, I'm going to be the internet sleuth detective that I am. (laughs) And I'm going to start, you know, getting as much information and resources as as I possibly can. So it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, because, uh, while we have pro-life organizations that obviously uh, help with financial assistance and things like that, which is massive, um, you know, the Guttenmacher Institute tells us that 73% of women that are seeking abortion are doing so because of lack of financial support and financial resources. So if we can step yes. in and fill in that financial gap, just that alone could potentially knock out a huge chunk of the amount of women that are seeking abortion. So. Um, when, you know, so that's obviously very important, but obviously all of our pro-life organizations are stretched to their absolute limit. Um, if, Mm -hmm. if we need more volunteers, you can believe we need them. If we need more funding, we absolutely need it. We are, and now that Roe has been overturned, we are stretched even further. Um, the organization that I was working with, literally we went from maybe 20 or so women coming in a month to upwards of 60 women a month um, post Roe being overturned. So if that just gives you, uh-huh. you know, an idea of what we're dealing with. So everything is stretched to the limit. So what we try to do is we try to tap them into their local organizations and their community organizations as much as possible. Um, and not only that, but a lot of the local and community organizations, um, like Carrie was saying, are going to continue to stretch them even after the baby is born um, mm-hmm. up to um, three, four years, you know, post um, postpartum. And so we're trying to get them can- connected to those supports that are going to be more long-term and giving them more long-term goals um, as well as short-term, but it's not just the short-term, right? Because we don't want her to come mm-hmm. to us and be dependent on us indefinitely. That doesn't do her any good. The point is to set her up with a long-term situation so then she can fly independently on her own. We want to eventually get her to the point where she can be independent and be stable, right? So um, this is where we're going to be like looking at, okay, here's WIC. This is how you're going to apply for WIC and I can help you do that if you need to. Or you can make an appointment at your local pregnancy center. And that's one of the things a lot of them do is they will sit down with women and help them sign up for WIC and pregnancy Medicaid and SNAP food benefits and housing and all of that kind of stuff. Because yes, the paperwork is overwhelming. Like just figuring out how to apply for all of these programs can be very overwhelming and it's a lot. So 
you know, when you have someone that can help navigate that system and that process, um, that helps a lot. So, um, you know, looking up, uh, you know, here's your local information for how to apply for daycare vouchers. And, you know, here's your local cha uh, Catholic charities. And they help with a ton of stuff from, you know, diapers and wipes and baby clothes. And here's your local pregnancy centers. Do you, you know, you're, you're going to need to get a pregnancy test and you're going to need to, you know, um, get all of that stuff situated. So, you know, so that's kind of my thing is um, I'm the one getting all of that information for her and helping her navigate which resources are where, how can I get from point A to point B? Maybe she doesn't have transportation. And, you know, I can't even begin to tell you over the last two years how I see like all of the parts of the pro-life movement when they when they come together and we work as one giant network of people that are all like unified together the things that we can accomplish i've had women that literally had no transportation i'm in arizona and this is a national organization so i talk to women from all over the country i talk to pregnancy centers from all over the country and there was one woman she was like i need to get you know, to this pregnancy center to get my pregnancy confirmed, but I don't have a vehicle. And I said, all right, hold that thought. I did some searching online. I found their state right to life, called the number, talked to the guy, nicest guy on the planet. And he literally said, my parents are right down the street. They'll come and pick her up. They literally, this old couple, the sweetest old couple, like that works for the right to life or volunteers for the right to life um, in her state, literally came and picked her up and took her to her her pregnancy appointment at the pregnancy center. And um, I think they even went and got her some food that day as well and then took her home um, completely free just because they wanted to help. Like these are the types of things that people are, are helping to do, which is awesome. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that um, the organization that I work for has done recently too is um, local advocates in a woman's area that is just available to help her with things exactly like that. If she doesn't have a car, can you help get her to appointments? Um, maybe do a grocery delivery order for her because maybe she's at home with like super bad morning sickness and can't hardly get out of bed. Um, people that are able to do those types of things and that, you know, are able to connect to someone where she lives and they're close to her. Um, so, I mean, that's really the thing that I'm more engaged in is the online connection to resources and getting that support for her and getting her connected to her local and community support as much as possible. How did each of you find yourselves in the particular area of advocacy that you are in now? For me, it was um, it was definitely uh, led by, by the Lord. Um, I am post-abortive, and so... I always wanted to somehow be a part of um, Lebanon post-abortive women and mm. thinking at the time um, I was volunteering at a, another pregnancy center when my kiddos were in Mother's Day out and just helping as much as I could. And then um, they, I was asked to facilitate the post-abortive group and with my background as a clinician and I um I couldn't tell God no, so I I said yes, and and so my thought was like everything with him is that I would um, serve in that capacity, and and really do more of um, 
the, the uh, care, the aftercare for post-abortion healing. Because I know that there's so many women that are bound in shame and aren't fulfilling their God-given um, calling, right, to advance his kingdom um, because they, of the shame. And as, as a therapist, I, I see similarities in um, things like childhood sexual abuse, right? So there's this shame that prevents people from coming out and sharing. Um, and so that's initially, um, the joke was on me, that that's how I was going to serve. Um, and and he had different plans. And, and it's beautiful to see um, the pro-life movement and how many stories, similar stories I've heard from other directors or um, people that work in the, and not only in centers, but um, in, in different capacities. And that um, I think that it's oftentimes uh, it's just so led, right? And it, it almost mm-hmm. finds you. Um, there's a calling right to it, I think, and you kind of feel called to it. So um, very incredible, you know, just interesting and fun um, chain of events. I ended up as a as a director and and um, I don't think I've ever felt more in the will of God in my life. And it's just been so such a a, a treasure to be a part of this um, and see what God's doing in our community because he's, he's after the one, you know, and, and there's, there's so many women out there that are hurting, that are scared. And I know from my own experience, only having a place like Planned Parenthood or similar place that did not Mm -hmm. honor and give me a space for my ambivalence on my choice. Right. And that, that ultrasound machine was in a corner turned around and Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, it, it was as if when I did look ambivalent, um, it was it was frustrating to their staff, whereas to to know that we have a place that truly is pro women that will allow women to process this, ex, you know, unexpected pregnancy and and be heard and seen and loved, um, and that we care for her just as much as we care for baby, is is just such a treasure that that I've been able to be a part of. If someone wanted to get involved in a pregnancy resource center, for example, what exactly um, would you recommend as the next step? So it's a, for a pregnancy resource center, it's a great way to get involved. And I think volunteering and getting connected with your local PRC, um, asking how you can even starting from um, task volunteering. And then as you learn different programs that they provide, then you can find the way in which you feel would be best for you to specifically serve or the the skill sets that you have. So reaching out to your local PRC, I would say do research. You know, there's so much information out there. Um, But I think that it's important that all research that we do for this needs to be done in a posture of love, right? Um, a, a posture of love and um, and grace, but I think equal passion that what what is happening to babies is is wrong, right? Um, but but I think sometimes we can get so passionate about an issue that we take the component of empathy and that life is sticky and hard, right? And so if we're not doing things with with grace and compassion, um, we can very easily put ourselves in a position that. Um, I don't think is not only uh, a pl- pleasing to him, but I don't think it's it's effective at all uh, for those that are pro-choice um, because it just it just solidifies the caricature that they believe uh, pro-lifers are. Christina, do you want to tell us a little bit about 
uh, what led you to want to become involved in this line of work, and then what steps you took to get involved in the first place. Okay, yes, absolutely. Um, yes, well, I grew up in a pro-life household. My mom and dad had eight children. I'm the oldest, and my grandmother did um, was the national director for natural family planning for um, 25 years until she retired. My mom is uh, the coordinator at our, our church uh, for 40 Days for Life. So we started going to the campaigns. Well, we attended the Jericho Walk, uh, actually, which is held on Good Friday here um, in front of Planned Parenthood. Uh, it's a prayer vigil, actually. And uh, it was during that time period um, we found out, my mother and I, we found out that um, Albuquerque, especially Albuquerque at the time, uh, is known as the late-term abortion capital of the world, uh, actually, where women were coming here constantly from all over the states, uh, actually, from across the country. Um, I talked to my husband, and we were praying about it, and we just decided to go out once a week at that time period. Well, my mother, um, there was a little bit of an art disagreement that my sister and I uh, got into, uh, over this, uh, and uh, uh, my mom said that abortion does hurt women. Well, she argued. My sister argued back, saying, "Well, no, that's not true." Um, and so my mom called all my siblings um, and my husband into the room, and she hoped that we could be as forgiving as our my father was. And she started to cry. Uh, she was crying, and um. She finally broke down before I was born, before my, before she met my dad. She had an abortion. Uh, she did. Uh, and so, yes, I am a post-war sibling. And I just got up and I hugged her. I cried with her. I told her it's okay. Um, we found out that um, the little one's name was Gabby, uh, Gabriella. Uh, and then, um, well, we found out that she was also with a high risk. Uh, pregnancy with me, and that she was also to a pressure to abort me, uh, actually. So um, my husband and I, we decided that, okay, we can't stay quiet anymore on this. Uh, we can't, um, because abortion has hit us in so many ways that uh, we can't sit back and stay quiet on this anymore, uh, actually. So we got more involved. We, we volunteered at Pregnancy Resource Center for a little bit. It it helped a little bit on that regard, but at the same time, our calling was actually on the sidewalks, actually. So we pretty much been doing the sidewalk since then, actually, ever since 2013. And um, and we feel still called to it because uh, that clinic, uh, Planned Parenthood, is the exact location where both my sister and my adopted son lost their lives, actually. And so we do hold memorials there a little bit on the sidewalks for them whenever it comes to the anniversary um, or whenever they passed. Um, and then also at Southwest, what prompted it even more, because I was actually considering uh, taking a break in 2017 uh, from, from doing the advocacy, but I'm glad I didn't because there was a young woman that unfortunately did decide have an abortion, 
but it also cost her her life at this exact clinic in the picture. Um, I am in contact uh, with her family, and I'm respecting the privacy. Um, but the but we are still working on uh, bringing awareness to what's going on at this exact clinic, uh, which is Curtis Boyd, uh, actually, and uh, uh, just the high um, malpractice of the case uh, and how many women he has harmed and also lives he has taken. So it sounds like your own personal experience is what kind of led you to want to become involved in general. And then you said what you initially got involved in a PRC and then decided to move to sidewalk advocacy from there. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. So if there's someone else that is interested in doing sidewalk advocacy work, how would you suggest that they get started with that? I say come to the sidewalk, come to the sidewalk, shadow me and the team, uh, actually shadow someone in your, um, in your city. I'm not sure where you're at, but um, in the city of Albuquerque in New Mexico, uh, the Cherub, we do uh, shadowing, uh, actually, which is boots on the grounds training. And, and uh, But if you want more training, we have a, a program that we have two programs that will back up uh, for in-house training. Gotcha. Then, Lisa, do you want to tell us what drove you to become involved in the first place and then uh, what steps you kind of took that led you to the work yeah. that you're doing today? Yeah. Uh, man, <laughs> my story's crazy. Um, so I was I was not raised in a Christian home. I was not raised in a pro-life home. Um, I was raised in a home with a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, um, a lot of chaos, so to speak. Um, and so, I mean, it, we definitely were not sitting around the, the dinner table, like talking about pro-life issues. I didn't even really like grasp or understand what abortion was until I was much older, um, and started looking into that for myself. Um, but basically it, it really came down to, um, my husband and I, so we met when we were 13 and, um, we, you know, obviously we started having sex young and, um, cause I had no parenting really. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, you know, by the time we were juniors and I was 17, um, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive and my whole life was turned upside down in a, in an instant. And, um, it was really, really difficult to figure out, okay, like, how are we going to go tell our parents this? Um, and we had those conversations and they were not easy conversations and, um, it pretty much tore me apart. Um, and uh, I had to go to school and of course, eventually it got out to the whole school and I had to deal with the ridicule and people making jokes about like, if my now husband didn't want the child, is he going to push me down the stairs? And I mean, it was just like high school kids are already very bad, let alone adding in teen pregnancy. Right. Um, it's not fun. Um, and so that experience definitely shaped me forever going forward. Um, but at nine weeks pregnant, I was actually at home alone. Um, my mom worked as a bartender and she was a single mom. Um, my siblings were off doing whatever they were doing. Um, so I was actually home alone. Um, and at, at like one in the morning, I actually started cramping and bleeding and having a miscarriage at home by myself, um, which was terrifying. And so I was able to get on the phone with like a nurse hotline to kind of help talk me through the 
what to expect and what complications to look for um, and all of that. And I ended up passing the baby at about two in the morning um, in my bathroom by myself um, at 17. And um, so, uh, you know, called my mom, told her what was going on. And she basically was like, you know, at this point, there's obviously nothing really anybody can do if it's going to happen. You just have to let it run its course, basically. So that's what I did. Um, and uh, the next morning when my mom got home, um, I finally went to sleep and I woke up to my mom on the phone screaming. She had gotten a phone call that my grandfather, who was only 57 years old, had been found. Um, he had died from a massive heart attack. So my baby and my grandfather, I believe, entered heaven on the same day. Um, that week, I buried my grandfather, and then Drew and I also broke up. So, And he was my first boyfriend, my first serious everything. So literally, I felt like everything in my life was just completely falling apart. Um, I lost everything that I felt was important to me in literally a matter of like a week's time. Um, so I did what most teenagers who are depressed and want to rebel do. Um, I partied, I drank, I made all the wrong decisions trying to fill myself with whatever I could fill myself with to make myself feel better, uh, which didn't work. It just made things worse. Um, during that period, I actually was partying and I actually was sexually assaulted um, at a party. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was just going down a really not good path. Um, and so all that to say, you know, years later, um, I, I think it was, was it 2013, 2013, 2014? Um, I got a hold of, um, it's going to sound super cliche, especially to pro-lifers, but it's true. This is how it happened. Um, I picked up a copy of Abby Johnson's book, Unplanned, and I read it and it just completely blew my mind. Like I had no idea that the that abortion was happening like that in our country and i definitely had no idea that the abortion industry was operating the way that it was in our country um and so through her story it it educated me on abortion on parts of the abortion industry but then i also learned about 40 days for life and the um campaigns that they do every year so i decided to reach out and get involved in a 40 days for life campaign and then from there, um, I, you know, started leading my own um, protest and rallies and things like that. And the biggest one that I, the first one that I ever put together was in 2015. Um, I actually, at that time, I was like seven months pregnant with my son. Um, and it was when all of those videos from the Center for Medical Progress had come out and all of the videos of the Planned Parenthood employees that were talking about um, fetal tissue and fetal organs and like buying the fetal body parts and things like that. I'm sure you guys remember when all of that came out and it was like a huge deal. Um, I organized a rally in my local city, um, uh, like a protest against Planned Parenthood after those videos came out. And we had, I think, like 700 people show up outside of our Planned Parenthood to protest um, that day, which was insane. <laughs> like still to this day, it blows my mind that I was able to put that together. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, and then, I mean, that experience just lit a fire under me. And, um, you know, I've been doing it ever since. But I think that 
my personal connection to teen pregnancy and miscarriage and all of that is what definitely led me to pregnant being a pregnancy counselor in particular. Um, I know what it's like to pee on a stick and have your whole world turned upside down. I know what that's like to feel that panic and that moment of what am I going to do? My life is over because that's how it feels. And that's also what we're told from day one, all day, every day. That's what we have drilled into us as girls in our society. If you get pregnant, your life is over. And I experienced that moment firsthand and had those exact thoughts. Now, I never leaned towards having an abortion because even when I didn't really grasp what abortion was, it still always felt wrong to me. Um, I considered either parenting my child or placing my child for adoption. I never got to make a decision on that because I ended up losing my child. But um, at the end of the day, I think I was definitely led to um, pregnancy counseling because I just know what it would have made a difference for me having someone as a support system. Um, I didn't really have a support system. And so I know if I would have just had maybe one person there, like what that would have done for me. And so I want to be that for someone else now. And I want to be able to be there with women to walk through these, you know, these are the most, this is the most difficult, probably one of the most difficult things she's going to go through um, in her life. And it's life altering. And so to be able to, you know, literally and, you know, um, figuratively hold her hand through that process, um, whether that's connecting her to resources or literally just being someone that's on the other line of the phone or someone she could pick up the phone and text throughout the day. Hey, I'm having doubts. I don't know what to do. And being that encouragement for her and saying, yes, you can do this. I'm here for you. We've got this. You know, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Um, because uh, I know in my 17-year-old self, again, if I would have had that, that would have been massive for me. And I didn't have that. So, I yeah, I just want to be able to to be that for someone else. So Yeah. So, sounds like you also had a personal experience that kind of led you to want to be involved in this work. What were some of the first steps that you took to get involved? Yeah. So, um I mean, there's, there's so many avenues. I would say like, uh, I would say like try different things until you kind of find like what your niche is. Right. So whether that's, um, you know, definitely, you know, look up your local pro-life organizations, whether you have a local right to life or you have a, um, gosh, there's all kinds of like different ones, um, depending on your state, but um, like here in Arizona, we have a right to life and we have coalition for life. We have both. So just kind of look up your state and see what you have available. I would sign up for their newsletters and like their email lists and stuff so that you know mm-hmm. what events are coming up and what's going on in your state. Um, you know, you can always sign up for a local 40 days for life campaign where you don't even like at that, like 40 days for life. You're not necessarily um, even trying to talk to the women. You're just out there to just mm-hmm. pray and be a presence on the sidewalk. Um, because like mm-hmm. Christina said, we know statistically when people are on the sidewalk, the um, abortion uh, appointments drop by 75%. So just literally showing up and just being there, you don't even have to speak to anybody, but just literally having Mm -hmm. that presence there means a ton. So, um, but also that's one of the number one ways that women come to me for resources Mm -hmm. and support is off of the sidewalk. Um, The amount of women that I have had call me from inside of a Planned Parenthood. (laughs) It's like, 
you're, you're not you're never prepared for when that happens. But when it happens, you're like, oh, crap. OK, we need to get you this. We need to get you that. We need to do this. We need to do that. Like your brain just starts racing. But I've had it happen more times than I can count of her saying, I don't want to do this. Uh, literally, uh -huh. I can hear them in the background, like the employees calling her to come back. And she was like, hold on a minute. And I'm like, this is not happening right now, but this is happening and I have to help her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, getting in contact uh, with a 40 Days for Life campaign is is great. Um, getting connected to your um, local coalition for life, right to life, any of those things. Um, every single state at the state level, whatever your next closest big city is, all have usually a March for Life. Now, it just depends on when they have their March for Life. Um, they do it like different states do it at different times of the year. Even if you just show up at your March for Life and just hold a sign and say, I'm here and I'm standing for life. Like, that's a great way to just, you know, break the ice and, and, and get involved um, and just show up and do something. Um, you know, find out what legislation is happening in your state. Like we are running pro-life legislation all across this country right now. Tons and tons and tons of it. But we're getting hit from the other side every step that we take, <laughs> we are getting killed by the other side. So we need people that want to step up in legislation. We need people that want to, um, you know, host rallies and protest and all kinds of things. Um, definitely, you know, get involved with your local pregnancy centers. That's massive. And they can connect you to a ton of other resources and information. Um, I, I am like a fundraiser Queen, surprisingly. And like, I really like fundraising money and I'm good at it. So I randomly years ago just came up with this idea out of the blue. So my mother-in-law actually owns a business and my husband is really connected to our local music scene. He actually knows a lot of like bands and stuff. And so I, on a whim was like, Hey, can I use my mother-in-law owns a coffee shop? I was like, Hey, can I use the coffee shop and do an acoustic night with some of um, like our bands? Um, my husband actually knew a guy that was in Emory. And so Emory came and played at my mother-in-law's coffee shop. And as an entrance, instead of having a ticket or like a door fund to get into the concert, we did diapers. We did a diaper and wipe drive. And then I took it all to my local pregnancy center. And they were like, we love you. And I'm like, yeah. So, and like, we ran that as like an anniversarial thing at like every year, we would just do a, a local like acoustic night at our coffee shop. And you just had to bring a pack of diapers or wipes to get in and like that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, you could do that at your local church. You could like, like all kinds of different things, like anything that you can think of, like we need creative people over here in the pro-life movement, man. <laughs> So, yeah. So it really sounds like as with anything in life if you want to be involved in something just get out and do it, right? Yep. Um, absolutely. And it yep. seems like it seems like no matter what facet you want to be involved in or even if you're not sure what exactly you want to help out with, really the best thing to do is just find some area to help out with and they'll help you get connected with uh, whatever else uh, maybe you'd rather do instead. Um, do you think that most places, whether it's the sidewalk advocacy groups, the PRCs or otherwise, do you think most have an online presence that people can find connections that way? Or what is the best way to find them? Oh, yeah. I mean, in this day and age, everybody um, has got websites. Um, the majority of the organizations that I'm aware of or work with have Instagram 
Um, several of them are even on, uh, getting onto TikTok now. Um, I I follow many pregnancy centers that are on TikTok. I, I follow multiple right to life from different states that are on TikTok. Um, so yeah, I mean, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, um, Google, all of the things, um, all of them have websites and social media pres presences, of course. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. And the other two of you, do you feel kind of the same way that initially, at least searching online for some group to find, uh, to get involved is probably the best way to start out? Yeah, I agree with her completely. I think looking online and getting on social media would be a great way to, to start the, the, to get connected. It's, it's really no secret that being on this side of the, the abortion position, being anti-abortion, is, yes. is really challenging, right? And the work that y'all do is incredibly important. But that with that comes some obstacles and challenges because of the nature uh -huh. of what we do. Uh, yes. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And if we could start with Carrie. Uh, Carrie, what are some of the obstacles you've encountered in your advocacy? Uh, I know that uh, talking before, you had to change your your organization had to change its name and location. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, CPCs or crisis pregnancy centers have been hit so hard. And so, you know, we're pregnancy resource centers and, and, and really just, uh, you know, unlike other, you know, sister uh, pregnancy centers in the nation, we, we haven't had the violence we haven't, but we, we still have the fake clients. We still have the, you know, the calls and then uh, our potential for the calls. And I do know that, um, the challenges, of course, is is the risk and and um, after Dobbs and and just even still, I mean, there was talk about having a boat out in the Gulf of Mexico down the road, and and so um, you know, there's there's just certainly a lot of challenges. But I think too, I, I want to speak into the challenges not only for the safety of pregnancy centers or clinics, um, uh, legislation of people like in California or. Um, Oregon, you know, being threatened to be shut down, um, but also on the donor end, I think the challenges have have uh, uh, arisen where, um, again, people that are uh, for life think that, you know, especially in states like Texas, that we've won. And so, you know, you've seen a decrease in, in people that are that are uh, financially giving. And, you know, yes, diapers are fantastic and we need material assistance, but we need people that, um, you know, if we are for, for life, I mean, these are nonprofit organizations that need monthly supporters. And so I really think one of the biggest challenges is for people that are pro-life to financially support um, organizations that are doing the work um, to, to mm -hmm. essentially prevent abortion. 100%. I would say like the days of sitting on your couch, praying abortion away, is not going to work anymore. The days of sitting on your couch just exactly. being like, oh, I don't want to, I don't like abortion. Abortion needs to end. Like you can't do, or just going out and voting every couple of years. Like that is not enough. You need to get off your butt and get up and like, yeah, whether you're donating your time, your money, your energy, like whatever it is, like you got to be doing something else, especially now with Roe being overturned. Like, like Carrie was saying earlier, this is just the beginning of the fight. Now we have 50 individual fights in 50 different states that we are fighting 
Um, and it is a heck of a fight. So yeah, at this point, you've got to get up, you've got to get motivated, and you've got to get involved somehow. Because the old days of just sitting around and like voting every couple of years, that ain't going to do it. It's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I totally yes. agree with that. And I, I want to, I want to say even more too to that point, again, financial support is imperative. So you have multi-billion dollar, you know, uh, um, you know, clinics and, and Planned Parenthoods down the road that are, have money essentially being thrown at them. Um, and so yeah, I yeah, think that yeah. it is, it's almost mm -hmm. offensive that such passion is stirred for pro-lifers, but yet no one is, 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 is giving $10 a month, right? Um, but right. what they have no problem mm -hmm. doing for, uh, you know, a Netflix or, or account month monthly. I, I say my, my, my thing would be to tell people, you know, give financially. You really know what you're passionate about if you're giving. Are you are you financially supporting um, national organizations or your local pregnancy center, even if it's fifteen dollars a month? Because we are nonprofits, right? And we we are fighting a Goliath, like right. So we're fighting a side of propaganda that um, that have the financial resources. So we need to be able to compete with that. And 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 as um, much people don't want to hear this. It, it comes down to financial assistance, right? So if we want to do things right. and do them well, we need the support. So I, I just really uh -huh. would encourage anyone listening. Um, you don't have to be a big donor. You don't have to, you know, be able to, to uh, you know, have a, this huge uh, check written, but at just a monthly $10, $15 to your local pregnancy center goes so far and, and, and preventing uh -huh. abortion. It's the same here with the sidewalk, even if it's just ten dollars um a month for mommy hope bag supplies, it goes a long, long ways. And I agree with both uh Carrie and Lisa on all counts, uh, because uh yes, like we can't stay silent, um, because we need to be a voice for the voiceless, even especially now because when Roe was overturned, uh, especially here in New Mexico, it has become far worse uh, than um, before. Actually, it's it's pretty much turned up the heat um, in the pro-life uh, pro versus the pro-abortion movement. And actually, it's a it's also the like Carrie said, like a David and Goliath situation. Actually, um, so yes, we are to armor up and by putting on the full armor of God and going to battle absolutely for the moms and the babies. So, Carrie, Josh had mentioned something about your organization having to change both its name and location. Can you tell us the specifics on what happened there and, and why you had to do that? Yeah, so I think that uh, we rebranded our name and we changed our locations because of geographically the community that we um, serve and for us to be centrally located. And then also for our name, um, you know, taglines like uh, Pregnancy Resource Center is, is targeted. Um, and so that mm -hmm. certainly played into the role. And, and we have national affiliates um, that work uh, on a national level level with with PRCs to help us, right? To to kind of rise to to standards uh, that we need to have. And and one of those is a push to rename 
um, rename us because we are medical clinics, right? We have medical professionals. Mm -hmm. So we renamed, rebranded and changed locations um, for multiple reasons, security for our clients, um, safe and and nice, a new facility, more centrally located, but certainly our name change um, needed to be up with the times, right? And so, you know, crisis mm-hmm. pregnancy center um, because of media's uh, that that they the mud throwing throwing that they've had on us um, is 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 certainly going to be a deterrent, right? And even resource centers. Um, so you know, clinics or or health clinics um, are are the taglines that you know that we're going toward because we are a clinic, right? We we're not a fake clinic. We are a clinic, right. and we provide medical services. And so, why would we call ourselves uh, a crisis pregnancy center or just a resource center when we're not? Right? Does that make sense? We're we're a clinic. We're a clinic. So um, that was a a, gotcha. a very big reason why we, we changed our name. Okay. All right. And like, um, if I could caveat off of that a little bit, so like, obviously, with what I do, I talk to. Um, pregnancy centers all across the country and the amount of myths and like false information about pregnancy centers that is out there is just so unbelievable it's so unbelievable uh-huh. and yes literally like talking to pregnancy centers again I talk to pregnancy centers in multiple states all across the country and I can tell you that every single pregnancy center that I have reached out to about a woman that I'm helping and you know explained a little bit about like, this is what she needs. I need to get, I need housing information, say, for example, because housing right now is an absolute disaster everywhere across the country, right? Um, These people are the most compassionate, nice, kind human beings that I have ever talked to in my life. Like they are every single one, literally every pregnancy center that I have ever picked up the phone and called, which is a lot of them, they are always so willing to be like, okay, what do you need? And what is her, like, what, what's the issue? And, oh yeah, we've got this here and we've got that there. And I know about this down the street and that over there. And like literally the most helpful, passionate people that are so unbelievably mm-hmm. kind and literally want to help in any situation as much as they possibly can. And like yeah. to hear the things that you hear from the pro-choice side uh, like the mudslinging that they have towards pregnancy centers is just so, I'd be like, mm-hmm. if you pick up a phone and just called even two pregnancy centers, you would realize that that is just completely and utterly ridiculous. Um, yes. But not only that, like not only are they the, literally the nicest people that I've, that I've ever spoken to in my life, um, but every single one of them, because I look them up and I research them before, because I say like, even with, even with pregnancy centers, right? Like, You need to do your homework on where you're going, just like you would a doctor's office, just like you would a school or a restaurant. Read the reviews like I do before I refer a woman to anywhere. I'm going to go on. I'm going to look at the reviews. I'm going to look at this place and make sure that it is like good. It's sound. It's legitimate. All of the things. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to send her somewhere that is is not that. Right. So I'm going to do my homework before I send a woman to a place, of course. Um, And so. When I do that, I go to their websites, I look at their reviews online, I do all of those things. And every single pregnancy uh-huh. center that I look up online, you can literally look on their website and all of them right on the main page or they have a drop down list that says services. 
Every single one will tell you exactly what they do and who they have there that is credentialed to do that work and what they're licensed to do and what they're not. Every single one will say right on there, we will not refer out for abortions. Every single one. And when I get them on the phone and I talk to them, guess what they tell me over the phone as well? We do not refer for abortion, like abortions. Um, like they have to stress that so much because of the lies of yes. these fake mm -hmm. clinics that are drawing women in under the guise that they're going to give them an abortion and then they're not. And I'm just like, they literally don't though. If you go to their website, it is very written clear as day that that is not what they are offering, that they are offering alternatives. And if you pick up the phone and call them, they will very clearly go over all of that with you on the phone, like 100%. <laughs> so just yeah. from personal experience, like, all of that, everything that I have heard from pro-choicers about pregnancy centers is so just ridiculous. Well, I think that's one of the biggest I, things, the fear mongering and the misconceptions about mm -hmm. whether it's pregnancy resource centers, the sidewalk advocacy, or just any of the work that we do in general on our side of this issue. Um, the fear mongering and misconceptions that we get from the other side are, are some of the biggest issues. So, um, Carrie, while we're still on the topic of the, the resource centers, can you talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that people have about your organization specifically and just resource centers in general and then how you kind of combat those misconceptions? Yeah, so I think that the, some of the misconceptions were, that were touched on uh, very much applies to our center as well, that we are deceptive, that um, it's unprofessional, that it's a fake clinic. Uh, that we are only for baby and we're not for the mother. And obviously all of these things are a hundred percent false. Um, I would completely agree that every pregnancy center that I've ever went and visited any director, any, any person uh, that has, especially that are um, directors over centers that I have ever interacted with have been nothing but kind um, with compassion that have a heart for the, the woman and the baby. And um, so, so yes, yeah, so those are, those are misconceptions. And so the truth is, is that um, our clinic is there to give a woman, cause we are pro woman and pro baby um, all of the information. So she can make an informed decision. We believe that if a woman gets all of the information in a non-judgmental, professional, competent way that ultimately she will choose life. She will choose life. And that the idea is that she needs to have all of the information and be informed to make a decision. So what she would get and what women get, our, our patients when they come in, is a safe, nice, clean facility that um, where they're met with warm medical professionals that provide excellent care, again, that have medical grade pregnancy tests to confirm pregnancy that are talked to by a nurse or a nurse practitioner on site. Um, and they're able to process the fear to be seen and to be heard and to be cared for. And that's, and to me, you know, that's, that's uh, when, when we live in, in a day where, you know, that is, few and far between to have another woman, a professional, a nurse, which is the most trusted profession and any research, the most trusted profession hands down is a nurse to sit and listen to a woman in her fear and let her process, 
let her process, let her talk through, um, and, and, and let her think through her decision, um, is, is what we're about. And then of course, giving her an ultrasound, right. Um, and letting her see, and we know the statistics of after seeing the ultrasound for a woman to choose life is so high. Another thing that people might not understand and know about is that pregnancy centers that we are also very much in, want to be involved with the father of the baby. Um, and so over 80% of the time, if the father uh, of the baby is on board, then the, the woman chooses life. And so, and so, uh-huh. you know, we were, you know, having, having resources for him and, and, you know, there's models of pregnancy centers that we're going toward where there's men that talk to men where they're being told my body, my choice. And, and they can talk to a, uh, while, you know, while the patient's being seen and he's waiting in the waiting room, he can be met by a, a, a male uh, to, to process what he feels. Right. And to say, no, it, it isn't her body. It's her choice. This is also a part of your life. Right. And how do you feel about it? Um, and which is very, you know, countercultural, but we believe that it's important. Um, and so, you know, the misconceptions are exactly what they are. They're misconceptions. And instead, you know, what we hear from our clients, um, not only our medical clients, but our support service clients is, I, I can't believe you guys do what you do, um, how you treat us. You know, that's the testimonies we hear of, of, of reviews are, uh, I've never been treated this kind before, Right you guys actually care about me and my baby. Um, and so that, that to me holds significant weight. And it, it's just so ironic to me that Planned Parenthood has, and I, I know I kind of picking on Planned Parenthood, but I mean, that, that's our competitor is that they have branded themselves as so pro uh, pro woman rather, and all about, you know, meeting you where you're at when in fact, that's not anything that they're doing. Uh, what they're doing is uh-huh. they're, 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 they are a money-making business and they have zero um, training and ability to give one, women any option to process. And moreover, uh-huh. where we are seen as fake clinics, we have OSHA officers, we're HIPAA compliant. We have yeah. so many things that we strive to be so above and beyond what's necessary. They have zero oversight. And so, you know, like they spoke earlier about uh, malpractice and, and botched abortions yes. and all of these things that have huh? zero, zero oversight. Um, no yes. one is going in and, 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 you know, through a microscope, seeing what they're doing and not doing it. And what I think uh-huh. needs to happen is it needs to be across the board that all clinics right, should have some type of set standard um, and guidelines. And I, and I, and I, I hands down money in the bank that uh, if you compare a Planned Parenthood or abortion clinic to um, a pregnancy center or medical clinic like ourselves, that our quality of care would over super exceed what, what's happening um, at, at a Planned Parenthood. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think that just goes to show how important it is for us to get the actual message out there of what's really happening in these uh, resource centers and these clinics, that it's not the fear mongering that is pushed by the other side, that you are actually offering real services to women. It's not uh-huh. just trying to talk women out of abortion, which obviously, like, ultimately, sure, the goal is to prevent women from getting abortions in the first place, um, but it's not done by deception. 
um, and mm-hmm. lying to them. It's done through, like you said, explaining all of the specifics regarding all of their options. And so they can make a for- informed decision. Um, exactly. When we talk about the sidewalk advocacy, I think that's another another area where there's a lot of misconception and fear mongering from the other side. People you know, make it out to be it's just a, a group of people that are screaming, that are being really mean to people outside of clinics, that it's almost becomes a safety issue for women going into clinics um, when, you know, I don't think that's the case at all. So, Christina, would you kind of want to talk on that a little bit? Yes. Um, and actually, I was hoping you would ask me that, <laughs> actually. Um, so, yes, the yes, there's a lot of misconceptions. Now, I can't speak for other sidewalk groups, but I can speak for the cherub. And I also could speak for some of Silent No More. Um, that, yes, we do get that. Um, but once we talk to them, uh, like, especially the pro, uh, pro-abortion side, when they... Um, come and find us on a sidewalk and some of them can be very belligerent. Uh, and, but then again, once we get into a, a dialogue with them, if they're willing to dialogue, we're able to um, clarify these misconceptions that they do have of us. Uh, actually, uh, for an example, the graphic images, um, we don't do the graphic images. Uh, reason why is because we feel that uh, one, it, it, I, uh, we personally feel, because we do have some uh, women with us that are post-abortive, they feel that it hurts the mom after her abortion. So that's why we don't use them. Um, but there's always a time and a place for them. Uh, they're always welcome no matter what. But, um, but yes, there are misconceptions such as them going and saying, oh, we're violent against these women. No, absolutely not. Uh, actually, we're not violent against anybody. If if anything, it's the other way around. For an example, um, in 2020, um, I was out here at this clinic uh, in the in my picture, and uh, with my team just praying. And sure enough, um, an angry um, an angry man who is for abortion. Um, threw a rock out of his car window huh, and injured my right knee, huh, actually. So um, they were like, when I'm saying, well, you're going to attack women verbally uh, and also like just throw things at them. That's not true at all. It's the other way around, unfortunately. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions. We try to um, clarify them. And if they're willing to dialogue or follow us or talk even some more, we take them to breakfast or we go and sit down for a cup of coffee, um, and uh, we also we hear them out on why we um, think that uh, on why these misconceptions, and uh, we try to work through it. We try to find common ground with them, and if they're willing to, that's great. If not, we we give them um, we send them a peace and grace, and hopefully that they do come back and talk with us some more. And like you all initially mentioned from the start is that when you approach these these different situations and and offer the help that you do, you're doing it, all of you are doing it from a place of love for the woman and the unborn child as well. Um, so yes. it, some of these different misconceptions that are, are had about our side of the issue wouldn't even make sense anyway, if people really think about it, um, you know, if, if someone's out on the sidewalk screaming at somebody and just making them feel terrible, that's not really going to make them change their mind. 
right? They're just going to hurry up and get out of sight so they don't have to hear it anymore. So if that's the tactics that are being used there, it wouldn't even make sense. It wouldn't be effective either. So it really just shows that it's a lot of just fear mongering from the other side, um, from people who really either don't know what is actually going on with these organizations or are just purposely doing it to try to detract away from the work that these organizations are doing because they are more about the abortions taking place than the mothers um, making the decision for themselves and, and a lot of times choosing life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something simple, like even, even just the fact that we offer post-abortive counseling and, Mm -hmm. you know, trauma, we we actually offer, you know, trauma support and, and all of that is massive. And like, I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, I've had women that I've been counseling that, after all was said and done and like I've laid out all of the different options for her and we've gone through all of the different resources and all of the things I've still had women walk away and still choose to go to get an abortion. Right. Like, and thankfully it hasn't happened very often, but it does happen and it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it hurts. Right. Like it it definitely hurts. And I've, I'm always upfront with, with a mom. I always tell them this is, not what I want for you. Like, don't get me wrong. I want better for you. You deserve better and your baby deserves better. But at the end of the day, my job is to lay everything out on the table for you. And Mm -hmm. then the ball is in your court to make the final decision. Because at the end of the day, she is the one carrying that child. And I fully have to recognize that she is the one that's going to make the final decision, whether I like it or not. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you cannot... You can't, you have no hope of, of, of getting anywhere near that child until you build a relationship with that woman. You have to make a connection with her first, or you can forget about Mm -hmm. saving that baby. That's just, again, because she is the one carrying that pregnancy at the end of the day, that is the reality. And so, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make that sound deceptive or like we're targeting her. That's just the truth. Like I have to, you know, build some type of a relationship with her and, 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 you know, she has to see that she's able to trust me. She has to see that she has true support. And, you know, some of these women have a lot of walls up a lot. They've been through so much. The amount of trauma that some of these women have been through and things that they're carrying is, is massive. Um, and then some of these women, you know, you, you take into account that they've had multiple abortions and what that can do to an individual, right? Um, and so you have to slowly build, like tear all of her walls down to get her to trust you. And that's a huge, huge, um, responsibility for me to carry, but I take it very seriously. Right. And, um, at the end of the day, if she still chooses to walk away and still chooses to get an abortion, which again does happen, I'm still there. I've had so many pro-choicers say, so if she still chose an abortion, what are you going to do? Are you just going to dismiss her? Are you judging her? Blah, blah, blah. No. That's, that's not my place. My place is to say, this is what you've chosen. You know that I don't agree with this decision, but at the end of the day, I am still here for you. You're still going to need someone to talk to. You're still going to need support. Also, here are multiple resources for post-abortive support and post-abortive care mm-hmm. and therapy and all of those things. And if and when you are ready, and you're probably not going to be ready for, you know, maybe a while, and that's okay. Take your time. I'm here for whatever you need. But when you are ready, this information is here, and I have this available for you if you want it, right? 
Um, it's not like we're just like, oh, well, she chose an abortion. And so now she's not my problem. Like, no, I'm still in contact with women, even if they've mm-hmm. chosen to have an abortion. <laughs> like, I'm still there for her, uh, regardless of if she makes the decision that I would want for her or not. Yeah. Now, we know there's at least oh. the perception mm-hmm. of a risk to um, our personal safety, for example, when we do some of these different types of advocacy. Do you think that that perception is warranted? Um, Do you think that we actually do face this risk to personal safety in some of these lines of work? Um, Or do you think that that's another misconception from our side? No, it's real. Um, It's real. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, so I, (laughs) I was actually in uh, DC the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned in front of the Supreme Court. I was working with um, Students for Life because uh, I've worked with them off and on for different things over the years. And um, so I was there with them um, at the all of the protesting that was going on in D.C., you know, for weeks after Roe was overturned. And it was in, it was intense. I mean, and I've been to my fair share of rallies and protests and things like that. Um, and leading up to Roe getting ready to be overturned and then after it fell I would say is some of the most in, I mean, it's always been kind of intense. There's always been like that level of, you know, when the pro-choicers show up, that's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you don't even have to see them. You can just feel the presence as soon as it enters, like, you know, that they are there. Um, and again, I mean, as a Christian, I would say that's, we're fighting a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual war. 100%. This is life and death. Um, so you, you definitely feel that you feel that presence as soon as it shows up. But um, being in D.C. in front of the Supreme Court the day after Roe had fallen was the most intense that I have ever experienced in my life. And if I could say that I have truly stared evil in the face, absolutely, I did. In it, I don't even know how else to describe it other than that. But I mean, they literally had metal barriers between us and they had a line of police between us because at points the pro-choicers were pushing us, bidding on us. They had bottles full of urine that they were trying to throw on us. Thankfully, the police intervened and they were able to collect some of those and stop that. But um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was crazy. Um, I mean, I saw people getting arrested all over the place. even at points, there were pro-choicers fighting other pro-choicers, which was kind of crazy, but whatever. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've got all the pro-lifers just kind of like, I mean, we were we were having, you know, we wanted to dialogue with them, right? We wanted to talk. We wanted to have conversations. And I did. I had a lot of really good conversations. Like, it was, it was an amazing, life-changing experience. But um, definitely intense and definitely violent. Despite all of these challenges that we've talked about, there are those times during the year where it's like that energizes you, a certain success story where a mother has chosen life. I was wondering if you guys, uh-huh. uh, if each of you could tell me uh, the most notable success story that y'all have had. Absolutely. Um, I'll have to say it was actually here at the Zadak Clinic in my profile picture. Is that. Um, we were, my prayer partner and I at the time, uh, were out there, and this was after the 4th of July, and, and uh, 
we were just out there praying, and this mom came all the way from Long Island, New York, at eight months pregnant, to have an abortion here at this exact location. Well, my prayer partner and I, we were um, doing an outreach to her. She kept on saying no about talking to us. She she went in and out from uh, Southwestern Women's Options four times. And then on the fifth time, she finally got back in her car. Well, my prayer partner decided to go give her a mommy bag, which we're grateful that he did. But he was like, uh, I'm just going to go to her and come back to my post. I was like, dude, she wants to talk. Uh, let me go and talk with her for a little bit. Well, I found out that she was being pressured. Uh, she was being coerced into doing the abortion here. And uh, and uh, she was scared. Uh, she didn't know what to do. She didn't have the confidence. But after an hour and a half of talking with her, she decided for life, actually. Well, she went into labor early, actually. And unfortunately, I couldn't be there in Long Island um, because she wanted me to be there. But she welcomed a beautiful baby boy within three weeks later, actually. She went into early labor. But she chose life for her baby. And there's what... There's one other that comes to mind, and this one I think is going to hit home for quite a bit. Real quick, I just to zoom through it. Um, there was this one mom, and this was during the time of uh, 2021, uh, the day of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, one of the darkest days in our history in the pro life movement, uh, actually. This mom, a teenage mom, was um, coming in, single mom, uh, already had a little one and, at Planned Parenthood. And uh, she saw me and my team out there, and, uh, well, she was scared. She didn't know what to do. And so I talked with her for a few minutes. We got her over to the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, and uh, she was there for about an hour and a half, and, and they talked with her and everything. And, uh, well... She got back in her car, and she drove back over to Planned Parenthood, and it was like, oh, no, please don't go back in there. Please don't go in there. And uh, she said, no, I was actually going to seek you out to thank you, actually. So um, she did choose life, but then again, uh, during the week, she reached out to me again because we exchanged um, phone numbers, and she actually said, can you please tell me why? I'm uh, not going through with the abortion. And I was like, well, because your little one will be protecting um, your little one in your womb. And I showed her a picture of my two boys. And she said, okay, that's it. I'm choosing life 100%. Well, she comes back the next morning with her brother. And um, she was like, we were seeking you out because I'm going to thank you one more time. And I wanted your bro- my brother to see the baby models uh, because we do have the baby model display uh, out with us. Well, I showed because she's eight weeks at that time. And when he saw that, he was like, no, you're not doing the abortion. I'll help you. I'm going to help you. She needed that support from a family member to back her up, actually. And so sure enough, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy um, approximately Seven months later, actually. So she has two boys now. Phenomenal. 
Uh, yes. How about yourself, Carrie? Yeah, so I have a, a recent one. We had an abortion determined client that came in and she uh, was was really upset that she had uh, essentially missed the, the time frame for a chemical abortion. She was uh, all over nine weeks. And in Texas, you have to get it mailed to your house. It's illegal, but obviously it's something we can enforce. And so the idea for her to be able to get the chemical abortion um, and sent to her house, it had lost that window. So she was visibly upset and uh, hopeless and said that she was going to go to New Mexico and have an abortion. And we um, are the first pregnancy center in the nation to provide her testing. There's, you know, a whole debate about um, people choosing abortion if it's not the gender, but we, we find that um, if an abortion-determined patient is going to abort her child, then what harm is it to if the patient, we feel that everything that we've provided, um, that it might give her um, some idea of that it is a living being, it's not a clump of cell, cells, that we offer that. And so we offer our gender test. We don't offer it to all of our clients. Um, but in this situation, we asked if she would like to know and if it would, you know, what impact that would, would make. And so um, she found out she was having a little girl and we felt, A, that um, she's she's choosing life. And so she's not only going to keep her baby, um, she already has three uh, existing children, um, but that she's going to get connected to our we provide brand new cribs, brand new car seats, brand new diaper bags full of baby material, tool bag, little baby material for the father, the baby, uh, gift cards um, for the fathers. And in a three-month class where they are taught by um, nurses and CPAs and um, uh, all sorts of professionals that come in and give training on ready, getting ready for baby, but also, you know, more things like budgeting and continuing education and life coaching. So it was a, it was a great uh, Christmas present for our, our agency to hear about that. Cause I know that this patient was um, certainly abortion determined. And, and now because, because of our efforts, you know, because of our nurse efforts and um, our team and just being compassionate and, and humble and, you know, like these ladies have been talking about that we can't force or push. That's that's not even Christian anyway, right? Um, that's completely against our belief system, but that we offer information and that we should give compassionate care and that essentially she chose life. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful way to end our day. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, Lisa, how about yours? Um, so, I mean, there's been a lot over the years, but I would say like the most recent one that I had was actually from a father that came to me. Um, and so this, uh, they're, um, older teen parents. Um, and he actually came in through my DMs on TikTok, surprisingly. Um, so, I mean, any presence that you have makes a bigger impact than you think. Like there's so many more people that are that are watching and paying attention than what you even think. And so like 
a lot of, you know, a lot of people that I get connected to moms, dads, like people looking for resources and information. A lot of that comes through my social media as well. Um, but this individual, yeah, I mean, he came in through my DMs on TikTok and he was like, I just found out that my girlfriend's pregnant. She's wanting to get an abortion. Uh, I, I don't want her to do this. What can I do? Is there anything as a father that I can do? And I was like, well, legally, no, there's nothing that you can do. And I hate that I have to even tell you that. But but what, here are some things that we can do. The biggest thing she needs right now is support. And you being there and supporting her and continuing to give her that encouragement of I'm here, whatever you need, like, we can do this. And I said, you need to get her to a pregnancy center as soon as you possibly can. Because if she can see that baby and she can hear that baby's heartbeat, that statistically has been shown to help in this decision process very much so um so i said you know here are some of your local pregnancy centers so i gave him that information and i just said you know if you can get her to get an appointment at a pregnancy center um that is going to be huge towards just a letting her know that she has that support system there and then her being able to to physically you know see and hear her baby. Um, so they were able to do that. And I was able to also get him, you know, get him a ton of information again for, you know, WIC and pregnancy Medicaid and all of the things. Um, and he thanked me for all of that. And, um, you know, a couple of months went by and I didn't hear anything. And, um, it was actually Thanksgiving day. <laughs> we were driving to our, uh, friend's house for like our get together or whatever. And I get uh, another DM this time on Instagram because we had connected over there. And I get ultrasound pictures of this baby. And he was like, you know, she chose life. And like, thank you so much for everything that you did to help. And like our families are supporting us and they're helping us. And we're connected to our local pregnancy center. And we're, you know, we're we're walking through a lot of the programs that they're offering and, and all of this stuff. And like those moments are what make it worth it because yes, this job is, is so hard and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But when you get to see these babies, like it just, you know, cause there's times during their pregnancy where you're talking to these moms and you're like, man, like you are frustrating me today. I love you, but it's because I care that you're frustrating. You know, like there's those moments where it gets hard. Um, but you got to keep going and you've got to be that voice of encouragement and that voice of support. Um, and, you know, when you get to that point where they finally send you photos of that baby and you're like, that is the moment that it makes it all worth it. And, you know, being able to, and it sound, it's so weird to think about, but there are times that I have moments where I stop and I think that there are children that are in their mother's arms right now because of my intervention. And obviously I believe, I ultimately believe that that comes from the Lord, but you get what I'm saying. Like there are mm -hmm. children that are taking their yeah. first steps right now because of our intervention. And like, when you think about like, there is a life here because of something that I was able to do, or I was able to help, or I was able to step into a situation and like walk through it with her side by side. Like it 100% makes it worth it to Mm -hmm. um, see these moms that are, uh, and these moms that have come from some crazy situations, man, I have seen people literally, I had a mom that was sleeping on a bus station floor at eight months pregnant. And she now has her own apartment, has a job. Like 
So to see them go from the lowest of the low rock bottom to now they are thriving, taking care of their children. And like, they are, they are doing the dang thing. Like to see that full progression happen is just, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It is worth more than all the money in the world. It is worth more than all the gold in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It is an unbelievable experience when you get to see it from start to finish. It's absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Yep. Nothing beats the feeling of knowing that you have saved a child's life. All right, ladies, I wanted to thank you all for being here again and for your continued contributions to the movement. Your efforts are perfect examples of the love and concern the pro-life movement has for both the mother and the baby, despite what the other side may portray. And for everyone listening, remember to like, follow, and subscribe on all of our socials at Pro-Life Advocacy Network, and we'll see you next time.